Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man. Nearly a two-word review just a shit sandwich. That right there is a logical fallacy. Welcome to episode 44 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. We are coming to you from the basement. We're braving the snow apocalypse. Uh, Paul is here via the magic of the internet. Hello, Paul. Hello. It's a double basement podcast. <laughs> oh, shit. It is. You're in the basement? Yeah. And is Kenobi present or is he is he away? No, he's been exiled to the main mm. floor. He was a little too hyper. Well, it was, it was a snow day today uh, for everybody. Uh, if you were with the government, then uh, you were definitely off. Uh, I was not off, but I work a long ways away, so... Sitting here with a beer at uh, yeah, mid-afternoon. Sort of nice. Sort of nice. Um, we got a pretty good podcast for you uh, this week. A couple weeks ago, I had a chance to sit down with uh, the guys from Diarrhea Planet before their show at the Rockland Hotel. So we got that interview. Um, and we're going to go through that first. And then after that, uh, Drive-By Truckers, seminal like, southern rock band, have a new album out uh, on Tuesday called English Oceans. Uh, so we're going to dive into that and uh, see what to make of it. Yeah. South and shit like that. Cowboy boots. Uh, I guess then uh, the easy question. Uh, and uh, I, I play guitar. Yeah. So, and like, are you serious? Four fucking guitars? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, Deadly serious. So, I know. I know. But here's here's the thing. Is yeah. That, is that that is my it's, my inner sixteen year old? Yeah. Like loses his shit at just the thought of that. Yeah. Like, because you can't pull it off and yet you guys somehow do. Yeah. Yeah. Is there like when you're writing, do you write for the four guitars? I mean, or is it just yeah. like step up, be like, Hey, check out this pedal. I got man. Boom. Kick it. No. Yeah. It's uh no, typically like there's stuff where like we write for four guitars and then a lot of times too, like there's things, um, for instance, like we've been playing together long enough mm-hmm. that, like we're I'm like very familiar with like we're all very familiar with each other's playing style and um so like you know there might be a part of a song where it's like on a demo or something that'll only be like chords you know like yeah. it'll be like the the rhythm guitar 
but then you'll you know tell the other guitar players hey i want you to play something like this here i want you to play something like this here mm-hmm. play something like this because you just are so familiar with with each other's styles that everybody kind of like comes up with their own interpretation of whatever that song is that we're trying to learn and sort of um you know brings it together and it just always works out it's really strange it's and it's weird it, cause, it is strange <laughs> yeah it's the weird thing is like it's hard to play in a band now that doesn't have four guitars like right. whenever i i play with whenever I've gone out and played with people that, you know, like they only have like one other guitar or something, it just uh-huh. feels really weird and it doesn't sound good to me. It doesn't, it, it doesn't sound, um, I mean, you, you can get a big sound with just yeah. one guitar, but it doesn't, <clears throat> there's something, uh, very, um, like seventies to that production yeah. that I think you guys are doing like, just like for reals. Thanks, <laughs> like, <man. laughs> it's like, you just don't expect to ever see like yeah. that huge, like queen, yeah. wall of guitar like well, sound there's, there's a lot of stuff too that it's just like you can't like you can't do there, like there's so many th- parts to th- that you can think mm-hmm. of and so many things that could happen in like a passage in a song that you know once you're used to having four guitars to deliver that it's really hard to like not want to have four guitar parts yeah. for like any given or it's like okay we need two guys playing rhythm here because it needs to sound bigger like here yeah, yeah. and then two guys doing leader you know is it always uh like right now or maybe in the future, like going to be completely like amped up and like just blow it out, you know, turn it up to 11 or. Uh, yeah, been... I mean, that's that's the point. I mean, we we turn up pretty loud. We Like I always tell sound guys like, you know, we're four guitar loud. Like we're not just stupid people with like giant sun stacks who are trying yeah. to make everyone crap their pants. Like yeah. we, um, you know, we're, we're loud because we have four guitar players. We turn our amps up loud enough to sound good. Yeah. And, we, and, you know, we don't have little amps. And um and so eventually the plan is, though, to have everybody, you know, like the next step is four twelves for everyone. Then the next step will be like two four twelves for everyone, you know, like if we get to that level. But it's like the, the, eventually we want to yeah. just have like the stage covered with like full stacks. Yeah, which would be sort of I don't know if you've seen like sleigh bells that come out. Oh, uh, yeah, they, yeah. They have that, yep. but, they're, but they're fake. They're yep, fake amps. Yep. And it's just like, but yeah. this would be like the real deal yeah yeah like, there's there's a lot of people that do that like they they do stacks and they put like a tiny ant behind them or something like dummy yeah. cabs just yeah, yeah. i've like always thought was yeah, yeah. <laughs> i thought that there's was so nothing dumb. fake about Ingvay, man. you need you don't understand the intricacies of his pinch harmonic <laughs> until you hear it through uh, <laughs> a billion cabs um so you guys are from uh, Nashville, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, and all originally from there, or all? No, um, I moved to Nashville in 2007 from Indianapolis. Evan is from Tacoma, Washington. Mm-hmm. Emmett grew up in Nashville. Mike was born in Boston, but he's lived in Nashville for most of his life. And then Brent was born in Dallas, but he's lived in Nashville for most of his life too. Or he lived in Canada at one time too. Nice. And then Casey. Yeah, Brent was in okay. Bad Cop. Um, nice. And then Casey grew up in Cincinnati, and he moved to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And very briefly in 2007, then had to go back home because he got sick and came back in, like, uh, 2008. Okay. All right. If, um, like, being in Nashville, this is obviously, uh, there's a there's a machinery to that town. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you guys have said on the record that you have a love of pop and stuff. Yeah, totally. How do you feel uh, as far as like how you or like other bands? I know I think you're friends with uh, Jeff the Brotherhood. Yeah, yeah. 
you feel that's something that is like actually plugging into Nashville right now, or is something going on that's sort of separate? Well, it. You are you talking about like people loving pop music, or well, not people loving pop music. I mean, so you guys are songwriters and stuff, and yeah, arguably yeah. you could go and yeah. just write, start writing songs for other people because that's oh. sort of the culture of the town. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and I guess I'm wondering, like, how much do you guys plug into that, or is there a scene of it's, stuff like you and like those darlings who you're touring with? They're from Nashville, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> I mean, there, it's kind of like two separate worlds. I mean, there's some people who do that sort of thing, but I there's not very many people, like at least in our friend circles and mm-hmm. the scenes that we play in, um, that do that. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's the that's the thing that sets um, a lot of Nashville bands apart, though, definitely from other bands that I noticed, like, overwhelmingly so when I um, moved there was that, like, every single band's central focus, no matter what kind of music they were playing, was, like, pop hooks and stuff. Yeah. So that creeps into, like, everything in Nashville. It's, like, pop hooks delivered with, you know, a lot of our friends, it's, like, pop hooks delivered with a lot of aggression. Yeah. Um, so it's like you have punk bands that are writing really great pop songs. Um, they have the attitude of a punk band, but it's still like pop music. Right, right. And there's a lot, I think, in your music. Like you, you like yeah. run the gamut of. Uh, I mean, the easiest comparison on a lot of songs is like Weezer. Yeah, um, uh, but, I'll take that. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, honestly, up to uh, you know, Bark at the Moon, Ozzy. Oh, cool. Uh, stuff like that. A lot of '80s. Uh, there's some like hammer-ons in, in these yeah. that are like stuff that is. Like when that, like say the Aussie stuff was out, people were looking at it like that's metal as fuck, and it's like nah, yeah. it's actually sort of a, a pop song. That's yeah, why, totally. That's why, why people it did like so love well. it. Yeah, yeah, that's why it's like, yeah, exactly. Like I mean, there's like bands that it's like the thing. It's like if you write like catchy music, people will like it. I think no matter what genre it is, where it's like I, there's bands I love that it's like, but if you play it like a lot of people like think it's the most disgusting thing like they've mm-hmm. ever heard because it's terrible sounding if if you don't like if you know if you have to have hooks. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 absolutely. For us to, I think we all have so many different influences, guitar-wise, mm-hmm. and like we're all coming from a little bit different places, but we have the same end goal in mind, more or less. And so, if there's an Aussie thing that I like, right. you know, like I'll, you know, I'll employ whatever that is. Or if there's something in a Taylor Swift song that I hear that I like, I'll employ that. Right. If there's a synthesizer part in a Dr. Dre song. You know, I might try to. You might. You might try that. Emulate that. Yeah. It's like if there's something that I like that. Uh, makes me think it'll push me as a player like i'm not necessarily yeah, yeah. gonna be concerned with if an audience will be able to tell what genre it is so much as does it work in the song sure sure yeah you know like a, a rancid solo probably not a rancid solo <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> not a fan of rancid <laughs> yeah i uh, yeah not, not today it's, but, yeah. Uh, yeah i think you know like as i was saying i think all of us are, do that a lot and so it's easy to kind of get like there's obviously like a metal influence but yeah. there's also like a very heavy pop influence and i think part of writing pop songs or playing pop songs is being able to adapt to mm-hmm. what is popular and uh, certain things obviously you can bank on but I think anymore the market changes so quickly and it's getting kind of like harder to predict what will last and so I think having a little bit of everything that you can do right, 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 makes right. it a lot uh, easier to adapt I mean how, how much do you guys pay attention to that because you, you could argue that like any of your albums coming out like now is that's there's nothing like that going on and it's sort of like rising up to the top really quickly because people are like holy shit like yeah i mean that's a very generous way to put it i'm not sure if i would necessarily go that far but i think uh 
I don't know. I think a lot of stuff with pop music anymore is uh, the fact that it's safe. I think you can mm-hmm. be a listener and uh, turn on the radio, and it, it doesn't matter which electronic artist it is. You feel like you've heard it before. And yeah. It feels like a nursery rhyme, and I like that. That was Nirvana's whole thing. Yeah. That's why they were successful. If you keep it simple and you keep it at a level where an audience can identify and uh, get involved really quickly, that's the best move. I think for us, uh, a lot of what we are doing on its own wouldn't be safe, but mm-hmm. the fact that we can kind of pull it off is what makes us remarkable. And yeah. uh, more than the number of guitars or more than any like heroics we have, like when we play any kind of theatrics or any kind of stage craft or shows or anything like that, I think at the end of the day, the best thing we've got going for us is that no matter what we do, we've been very lucky in the sense that we can get away with doing it and yeah. Uh, yeah. making it seem like we, you know, we know specifically what we're doing and i think that may be one thing that we've got going for us that other bands might not Mm -hmm. uh as as far as pop is concerned but i wouldn't necessarily consider us only a pop band though yeah but i but i think some people also shy away from pop like they they, like i don't want to do that i gotta be indie as fuck well i think the idea of safety has uh gotten kind of a bad stigma i think a lot of people get more pretentious than they should be and uh i don't know like a song like you know uh Twinkle, twinkle, little star, or something. Right, it's right. like you hear that once, you'll know that for the rest of your life. Like, right. do I want to have a song that's got a bass line, that, like like a dubstep thing that's like cool now, right, and I'll forget right, right. it tomorrow? Or do I want a song that somebody will sing yeah, for the rest and, of their and life? And you, yeah. you take, like, say, uh, just like the joke of like people hating on the Eagles. But those motherfuckers could write songs. It's funny you mention that because we've been we've been riffing on <laughs> been riffing on the Eagles for like anything but the fuck. <laughs> been riffing on that all day in the van actually. But, uh, but I mean, it, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I love the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's like I would rather have some people say that's safe and that's boring, but most people say I love this versus right. hit a target that nobody else can hit. I'm, we're trying to hit a target nobody else can see. Right. You think? Um, in trying to hit that target, the sound is going to, like, get more complex or, like, are you, like, trying to, like, simplify it down? Because, like, I know just reading, you guys all seem to have a very diverse but somewhat overlapping uh, pool of influences that you're pulling from. I made this analogy, uh, I made this analogy earlier today on, like, Loose Jewels, we learned how to function as a locomotive. Now we're kind of learning how to turn it into a race car or maybe even four race cars. Uh, but yeah, I think for the next stuff, we're going to keep, uh, learning how to be more and more diverse in our playing, uh, and take the, uh, you know, when things need to be heavy or, uh, loud or fast, we can take that to, you know, a more extreme margin where we can take the lows and the mellows even lower. I think it's also just trying to figure out how to like perfectly, I'd say, if anything, I, I would expect our songwriting to get more focused mm-hmm. and less... Like, there's definitely moments I feel like when I'm listening to it that it's like, okay, like, they kind of, like, didn't... It's like continuing to figure out what you're doing and doing it on purpose, um, but m- focusing everything a little bit more and getting better at what we're doing um, and not being afraid to explore more, like, extreme sure. areas of things, you know, but at the same time trying to keep everything as simple and as focused as possible so that people still get it. Yeah, they can still, like, react to yeah. it and be like, okay, there's something yeah. else I can find. Um, when you all are writing songs, are you writing more uh, trying to be, like, the storyteller or trying to be more, like, a uh, a, a personal... Not, not, confessional wouldn't be the right word, but, uh, like, you know... I think that 
I mean, per, like me personally, mm-hmm. I've I'm like I cannot write a storytelling song. Mm-hmm. Like I always feel like I'm writing the stupidest song sure. ever when I do that. Sure. Like if I'm talking about something that's not real. Um, and then I think like the songs that Brent and Emmett have written too, it's like very, they're all very similar in that they're always kind of like a self reflection. I feel like on something that might right. maybe happened or something like we're never just like, you know, singing about weird, like, you know, fantasy stories or anything like it's like everything's right, right, right. very, very real. So I think that's probably maybe the direction we'll go. Uh, like all the but newer with four guitars. <laughs> true. A yeah. We think. could start singing. A, yeah. We, uh, no, no, none of it. None yeah. of it. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. For, it's just like, I think one thing is we're getting, at least myself, and I've gotten a lot more honest and, and right. maybe like a little bit le- more or a little bit less satirical than I used yeah. to be and sort of like being really bitter and kind of like, you know, d- approaching things, making fun of things a mm-hmm. lot and singing about things, just making fun of them yeah. and more just like open to talking about like myself, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you can deliver a emotionally honest song people will relate yeah. to that as much as they will a simplicity of yeah of like the how the song sounds yeah and, and if you get both and you've hooked them and they're they're in totally it's and kind of a scary territory to be in because you always like get worried that somebody's gonna pin you as being emo you know like in right. quotation marks like emo because that's like a thing now unfortunately yeah but um and i feel like there's a lot of people getting penalized all the time for being super emotionally honest and open um you know, whether it's in their song craft or personal lives, mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that society in general is like super uncomfortable with now. A lot I of times. mean, especially now, like if with the way the internet works, like you, totally. I mean, you, you can do a song and then you can have, you know, 10,000 people tell you you're a pussy. Oh, totally. And, that, and yeah. you know, some people like, there's like, can meme, take that. there's like memes going up with like right, a bad picture right. of, yeah, it's like, which is, it's funny and it's fun to laugh at because it helps keep people, you know, not being too serious. But at the same time, it creates like a serious disconnect with like mm-hmm. true emotion. Like it's like people feel like it's not okay to like actually say what they're feeling anymore. So yeah. I think that that's a, it's like a good thing and a bad thing both. But I yeah. don't know. Yeah, cool. I think it's about, we've got about 15 minutes. Cool. Um, if you guys want to talk about anything else, I mean... Um, well, uh, Fender makes the greatest guitars. They uh, do. Diodaria makes oh, well, the uh, let's, let's do greatest that. Let's strings. Do that. So uh, what's, what's the gear? Uh, well, I personally, I, like, I play Marshall amplifiers, like, specifically JCM 800s, like, okay. in the 80s. Um, Fender guitars, uh, Maxon Telecasters, which, which I play, I play a Supersonic, okay. uh, which is a reissue of an old yeah. Squire guitar that Fender improved and put out, like, in the last year. Um, Emmett plays a Strat. Emmett plays this exclusively Strats. Yeah. Though he's hopefully be adding a Parker Fly to that arsenal right. at some point. Nice. And uh, Evans got Tellys and like Sheridans and hopefully a Les Paul custom yeah. in the near future. And Brent plays banjo. All heavily modified. <laughs> all, all heavily modified. <laughs> Brent. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Scale Model Guitars does all of our work um, okay. in Nashville. Uh, Brent plays a uh, BC Rich Warlock and a BC Rich Beast. Uh, Brent also is a big fan of ESP LTD guitars. Uh, yep, Casey plays Roland V drums. He's got sponsorship. Got some uh, Roto Toms. Um, and Mike plays uh, Mike plays a pickle bass. 
Mike plays the Fender Pickle Bass and the right. Fender Fiesta Bass. Dirty Ombre Bass. The Dirty Ombre is uh, one of Mike's bass. How many uh, pedals Ombre. you guys use, or is it pretty straight? Uh, Emmett's the pedal guy, probably. Right. Everybody else uses three... So we're yeah, going into. Uh, I'm I'm a big proponent of all true bypass. Uh, we'll see that Evan's shaking his head right now. Here's the thing: Evan uh, gets so, his pedal board dunked on so often with so much beer that inevitably, when something goes down, his entire signal is going to get cut. Whereas I could unplug the power to my pedal board, and if I turn everything off, I'm still passing signal. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Plus, I can get that buffer just by turning up my. Uh, uh, d- distortion box I have all the time. Uh, you know, get the get the gain up a little bit. It just makes a nice little buffer in the chain. Plus, I'm not running Emmett, sixty. <laughs> Emmett needs uh, Emmett needs all those pedals because he uh, plays with his fingers and it's really soft. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Emmett needs all those pedals to get up to line <laughs> level with the rest of us. They're fucking hard. To yeah, play. yeah. He's claiming the true bypass thing, but uh, <laughs> when you're playing a strat with fingernails. <laughs> yeah, the theme, theme for my board is stages of gain. I got like four <laughs> four independent. Switchable uh, stages of game. <laughs> I have a total. I have a totally. <laughs> yeah. The phaser is important. Yeah. Anytime yeah. I leave the stage, Mike turns on the phaser. My wah pedal is a, seen this, uh, essentially just. Uh, a, uh, Andrew yeah. Grandusil from uh, War on Drugs has like three phasers. I believe just, it. It's amazing. It. Some people are <laughs> He'll crazy. just look down and be like, this isn't going well. And just I, like, uh, the second one and then just like kick it up. It's amazing. My, my wah pedal, I like to keep sounding like a bobcat. Yeah. Uh, none of that Jimi Hendrix crap. Uh, just want it to sound. It's, it's like like that the whole time. Yeah. It's more of an envelope filter noise machine. Yeah. Cool. All about that. All right, well, I guess... Casey's got some cool mm-hmm. pedals. He's got yeah. a... Uh, Casey's got a uh, Iron Cobra. Iron Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, He's got... an Iron Cobra? The uh, kick pedal? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Does, oh, does he have Iron Cobra hats? And then did he switch from Iron Cobra bass to the... That's right. That's what he did. D80 or D100 or whatever. Yeah. It's like the second highest number. It's a great great thing about instruments is they have names like Iron Cobra. Yeah. Or like Earthshaker. Yeah, <laughs> Earthquake, like, Earthquaker devices. Yeah. I want to get one of those, actually. Yeah, they, Earthquaker's got some... I'm trying to get my hands on a Disaster Transport Senior. Those are cool. Yeah. That delay, the delay that makes people weep. Yeah. yeah. I have an Aquapus now. Oh, yeah. I have an Aquapus, a full tone, and a rat. Oh, uh, nice. Rat is the best distortion pedal of all time. Yeah, well, mine's old, so it's actually not. So it's even better. No, man, uh, the vintage ones are the best, dude. Oh, God. OCD? No, uh, it's not the full OCD. Full Drive 2? What's it look like? It's orange. Oh, you have the Catalyst. The Catalyst, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, dude, that pedal's pretty cool, that weird fuzz. Over yeah, I like thing. it. When you switch yeah. it over to the uh, the flame setting. Yeah. It, like, <laughs> that's an interesting <laughs> pedal. But the thing is, it's a, like that's what's cool. It's like pedals have a flame setting. It's like, yeah. what does this do? Yeah, Boom. Uh, boutique pedals have kind of gone the route of uh, the... Uh, like craft beer yeah. business. Yeah. It's like ridiculous names. Like you got names like the Greer Amps Tone Smuggler. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> which, is, which is like a compressor. <laughs> Victory yeah. Boost. The Victory Boost is my favorite. Victory uh, Boost. You got the uh, Pharaoh's Oppression. Yeah. Oh, dude, this guy's <laughs> this guy's daddy fart box. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing from Greer Amps is just like all like they're all incredible pedals with the names. Like that would be enough for me to just right. put it on my board. Like, 
Compressor. Yeah, you got to check out. Um, it's like really special. Uh, Sco's Daddy Pedals by Evan Donahue. Okay. Yeah. Designed, uh, they make the fart box, which is a really, really great pedal. Amplifies the hum in your single coils and uh, turns it into unusable amounts of <laughs> fuzz. Nice. <laughs> Visual Sound Open Road. Visual Sound's based in Spring Hill, Tennessee, a little bit away from Nashville. And uh, they just came out with a, I think it's the VSXO Overdrive. Right. It's uh, pretty sweet. It's kind of like uh, a slightly modded version of their Open Road circuit and then like a Tube Screamer style circuit on the other side. Which is nice. kind of more like their 808, uh, but yeah, I forgot. Little shouts out to them. They uh, their customer service is off the chain too. Very nice. Almost forgot. Well, dudes, thanks for uh, doing this. Yeah. And thank you, so thank and you for caring. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of people care, man. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I think, and like I was saying, uh, this is something that is a little out of place right yeah, now to what's yeah. going on. Uh, I think it's very welcome because it's not um, – we we've talked about this on three podcasts now. Um, you talk about, like, Sharon Jones's new album. People yeah. are like, it's retro, it's old and stuff. I think music at the end of the day, it become, it's a cumulative thing, and there's parts that people, like, get distracted and don't pay attention to. Yeah. But they're still fucking great. Yeah. And so what you guys do is fucking great. Thanks, man. And it's like – and more people, like, hopefully will hear you, and then some kid will be like, hey – Five guitars is gonna Yeah, be. yeah. No, we're waiting. Yeah, yeah I'm, we're we're all kind of like thinking that that's got to happen at some point. The same way that they did when they saw School of Rock the first time. Yeah, I mean, that, well, that's why you that's sh- kind of why you should make music, and it comes through yeah. that you guys seen. Well, that yeah, everyone has music. been very generous with us and uh, very gracious, and we all feel very privileged to be able to do this. And so we, then you know, it's like a probably the biggest reason we ever got into this in the first place is because we had a shared experience with some musician we want to have you know try to share that with everyone else so yeah it's very uh it's a very big deal for us that so many people keep coming out and people like keep having such a good time and people are interested because uh i don't know it is truly a privilege cool we'll leave it at that you guys have a good show tonight thanks man all right So that was our conversation with Diarrhea Planet. Lots of uh, bronis up in there. Um, if you haven't heard them, uh, you know it's four guitars and the truth, or something like that. Um, so uh, yeah. pretty much, I, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's you've seen them, Paul. I, I actually yeah. have not. Uh, uh, so I got to go talk to them, but did not get to see them. So hopefully next time they're through. And there's an interesting story about. Yeah, I think I think I wrote that show up last year, didn't I? No, I think he just went. I think it was when Thor was in town. Oh, okay. And like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. was. And there was just a clusterfuck at the door, and yeah, whatever. Uh, but yeah, cool, brotastic shit. Uh, so let's talk about some English oceans.
So this is the first single off Drive-By Truckers. I don't know how many albums this is now, um, although I have it open so I could look. It looks like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10th album maybe, somewhere around there. Um, this is a band uh, back in the early 2000s. Uh, they sort of, there's a little bit of a revival of Southern Rock, um, and they were in a large part responsible for that. Uh, their album, they had done a few albums uh, prior to, I guess, their masterpiece at this point. It could be considered uh, Southern Rock Opera. They had done Pizza Deliverance and uh, Gangsta Billy. But it was Southern Rock Opera where people stood up and were like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? Um, if you, like, the Hold Steady, Craig Finn has been quoted as saying they started the Hold Steady because uh, they saw them on that run of shows. Uh, I can attest to the fact, you know, when you talk about like rock and roll, uh, sort of saving people's lives, you know, when that came out, I was like in, like, it was in the middle of a divorce and it was like, there's like just bad shit put on that record. And it's like, God damn. And then go see him. And it was a nigh religious experience. Uh, if you're into that sort of thing, but now here we are in 2014, um, the band has gone through many changes. Uh, Jason Isbell, most notably, notably gone from the band, um, and Shauna Tucker, his ex-wife. Um, Paul, you you've been a pretty longtime fan of them, correct? Um, I wouldn't put myself in that longtime fan category like you. Uh, I came to Southern Rock Opera uh, later. Um, Drive by Truckers was one of those bands that in the early 2000s I kind of knew was out there but wasn't listening to very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of caught up with them in the mid aughts, saw them a few times, most notably I think out at the at Outside Lands a few years ago. I don't really like the I like the live show. Um, I've generally thought that their output has uh, declined pretty steadily and maybe uh mm-hmm. declined to a plateau ever since southern rock opera though yeah well i mean i don't know southern rock opera was a massive undertaking it was like two um double album uh it was basically this tale of leonard skinner and they like jason isbell wasn't with the band at that point but then it, they sort of picked him up and produced two i think arguably better albums which is Decoration Day and and Dirty South, um, so I would say it's it's been in a little bit of a decline. Like since then, uh, on what we have going on, and, and we're not talking too much about the new album yet uh, because I just sort of want to frame this where we're going with it. Um, they've always been sold, or they sell themselves as a songwriters band, and so when Isbell was in the band, it was a three songwriter band. And now, you know, before it was a two-songwriter, and then now it's back to a two-songwriter band. Um, what's been happening is a weird, um, I don't know if gentrification is the right word of their sound, but it as they've gotten bigger, the it's they, they've had less to talk about. I mean, would you agree with that or... 
Yeah, I mean, for getting into this album, I think that's uh, that's definitely true yeah. here. It, 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 part of it is, uh, I think, symptomatic of just doing it for a long time, though, mm-hmm. and having a particular sound. Like, they are settled in to, for better or for worse, a particular genre and that their fans expect on a uh, sure. on their tours and they sell out their shows they do and they make money to and they make money as a touring band but there's not a lot of room for experimentation within the uh within the realm that they've that they've cut for themselves i guess and to a certain degree that type of music lends itself to the same themes getting played again and again and again now they they might be able to do more to bust out of that but it seems like they're kind of happy to just keep doing the same thing yeah wash, rinse, repeat. <clears throat> yeah well there's a weird press cycle going on and it continues with this album i think too is that they talk about the fact that they're songwriters and then sort of talk shit about the album before, saying it wasn't quite what they wanted. Um, and But this one is definitely what they wanted. And, I mean, at this point, you know, so many years in, um, it, it's sort of a shtick. It's a, it's a weird thing. So um, the two main songwriters being Patterson Hood and Mike Cooley, uh, and they've, they've had to fend for themselves now uh, again since uh, the departure of Isbell. Uh, I think people avoided bringing Isbell into the conversation um, for years, maybe even a decade, but you can't ignore that. Like Isbell is operating in the same sort of mode and and uh, very niche genre as they are, and and clown them like last year because Southeastern was what um, not just a great album, but it was what the truckers used to output. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any question that that's a much better album than mm-hmm. uh, what we've seen from the truckers in the last few years. This album inclusive, right, 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 and and so, but it like I was saying, it hasn't been a part of the conversation. But I think it's now worth like comparing because you have these two guys who are um, self-professed like great songwriters uh, turning out stuff, and I mean, I'll, they each have a specific style. But what I've heard over the years is uh, Hood's writing is gone downhill and repetitive. And Cooley's is it's it's repetitive. It's very I mean, he, he doesn't bust out of like uh, his boundaries too often, but uh, it's at least like charming. And I think it's starting to on this. It's really starting to show the wear between them and them sort of becoming I guess an, an institution um, because there's half of this album I think that is pretty good and, and if you if you heard it like and you didn't know who it was you might be like yeah okay and then there's half of this album that's just boring as fuck and like it can almost be split evenly down the middle of like who wrote the song and who's up front of the song um, if you take a song like Pauline Hawkins uh you know, it's just, I've heard it. And if you're a fan of Drive-By Truckers, you've heard it. I know one time, Paul, you referred to it as sort of the, uh, taking the DBT, or no DBT, the uh, Dave Matthews Band course of just sort of cranking yeah. it out. Yeah. And I don't know, it, it like, it sort of makes me sad, but like, I wonder on this, um, if they just wouldn't be better served, uh, I don't know, like, 
I don't want to say like breaking up, but like have somebody take charge for an entire album. Well, maybe. I mean, I, I, look, the Dave Matthews band uh, comparison that I drew wasn't necessarily a slight. Like, right. it's an artistic slight. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there's these guys are are settled into middle age. Mm-hmm. They've got families and mortgages. And if you know, every two years, if I crank out something that's a variation on the same thing, I can keep selling out venues and tour as long as I want. Then that's a significant revenue generator right there. And it's tough to step out of your, out of your comfort zone. It's the, uh, it would be the effective equivalent of quitting a six figure job and going and you know, trying to make, make it go entrepreneurially. It might be, it might be interesting. It might succeed wildly, but there's a much higher percentage chance that you fail and you're not sure you can get back what you had before. Like if they go out and strike out in an entirely new direction, you alienate those fans who show up every time you come through town, who sell out three nights at the nine thirty club when they decide that they want to do that. Sure. <clears throat> I mean, but yeah, I mean, there, there is that side of it and the mortgage and business side of it, but like, at some point, you have to um, not, I mean, to use Patterson's words, like, the secret to a happy ending is knowing when to roll the credits. And I, I mean, if, if you become, like, very, like, artistically just empty, like, I, I'm not sure, like, like, I love this band, and I hate that, like, every time an album comes out now, um, I have to, like, think about it in like these terms like oh my god like why isn't just why isn't it good like why can't there be you know some something i can latch on to like the big thing on on english oceans which we're not going to play because it's like eight minutes long uh is grand canyon uh a, a very it's a heartfelt song they're a uh, longtime roadie uh i'll put his name in the show notes but um and tour manager like died after some shows they do at the 40 watt club um and so patterson Hood wrote this about his friend it, it it's it's heartfelt and 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 I get the sentiment, but I've heard that song before. I've heard it about like his friends uh, on uh, which one was it? Uh, Blessing and a curse. Uh, or his friends in Richmond who got murdered. Like it's the same. It's the same thing. And it's like if this is the only mode of output you have, I, I guess that's fine. That your stylistically your song is going to be like that. But then you have to say something. And when you get to that and like songs like When Walter Went Crazy, I mean, the, the stuff is, is getting like ridiculous at this point. Like that's, that's a song just about like supposedly about the South or some Southern experience. And, you know, some guy just gets up and like douses the house with gasoline and kills. I think it's his mom and is the subject of it and might be his girlfriend or something. But like that's not like interesting thoughtful uh narrative Mm -hmm. which is i think that's what's been missing and continues to be missing from their stuff is that it's not it's it's like it's it feels phoned in because it is well and it's uh, look it's tough because when you gotta crank an album every two years and you are as you as you say they're they've built this reputation as a quote unquote songwriters band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pressure, the pressure to write is definitely there, but are they really experiencing anything new? Like you talk about yeah, a, well, that's a what... memoriam to a friend right there, but like 
you're you're having to make it up off the cuff. I think that's what you're seeing right there. Mm -hmm. you're, when you're talking about stories about a guy dousing his uh, dousing a house in gasoline and setting it on fire, mm -hmm. like these aren't the true experiences that they're going through, or else you'd just be having you know tales of the road, and yeah. everybody would be like, uh, <laughs> Bob Seger did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, well, won't talk war on drugs yet. Uh, let's hear a song. Okay, this is a Cooley song, uh, and this is one of the. There, there are good points. Sounds like we're trashing the record completely, uh, but uh, this is going to be Primer Coat. That was um, Primer Coat. Uh, that is a Mike Cooley song. Uh, Mike Cooley, who I think it was last year, actually put out a solo album, um, and it is like a, a bright spot on a on a largely uh, I'll call it generic album. Uh, it, it's uh, to me, it's evidence of like that, like really, like they need to think about like maybe take a break. Maybe, like, there's a lot to this band that is hype. And Patterson Hood is an amazing hype man. Um, and he is... I've seen him play, like, a three-and-a-half-hour show um, just by himself in a little club in Richmond before they played the 930 Club the first time, actually. Um, and he sold it. Like, people were, like, just wrapped by him. Um, but the stick... Like doesn't seem to be working anymore, and so the, all they have to lie back, fall back on is the songs. And you know, Cooley is 
sort of pulling his weight <laughs> or pulling more weight, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what their plans are. They've had a big shakeup. Uh, but I mean, what do you think? You think they should like maybe take a break? Is that? I you know what I don't want to say that because I, I really think that they they're settled into legacy act mode right now. Uh, I think I think it depends on what they really want out of the band. Right. If if they still have an idea that they want this to be a new and vital and transcendent type of band, then maybe they do need to do something to uh, to shake up the mix. But if they want to just keep going out and making music and making people happy, they're doing that right now. Yeah. And they yeah. can probably keep doing that indefinitely. And, you know, for, for a lot of folks, uh, playing live is what they like to do. Right. And they, as you know, there are legions of people around the country who love it when drive-by truckers come through. It's their oh, event. And, yeah. and, that's, uh, and that's fine. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, they still, like, will kill it live. I mean, if you when you go see rock, although I think it, it is sort of hilarious because we had sort of the similar conversation about Blitz and Trapper, who is now opening for them on this tour when they when they come through. That is club. actually a perfect match. Yeah, yeah, um, sort of doing the same thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, and 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 again, I don't want like like I do love this band. I don't want to sound like I'm just like so like down on it, but it's like. At some point, it just gets like disappointing, and it you know it, it sucks because you're like fuck, you know one of my favorite bands is just not doing it anymore. Yeah, and no, I it does suck, but I think it happens to just about every band at some sure. point. Like if you if you last long enough to become a legacy, you last long enough to become disappointing. Like yeah. you burn out early or you fade away. It's the old. It's the old. Uh, issue right yeah and i mean to be fair if i'm thinking about it now like if you look at an act like the stones and i'm uh, although they would maybe compare themselves to the stones uh anytime there's a duo they make the joke i forget what the uh uh what is it the uh oh they they have it's i think they're the dimmer twins um instead of the glimmer twins which were aerosmith um ladder stones not so good (laughs) you know but they still fucking like destroy your face if you go see them live. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's the rare band that can keep going after they've been together for over a decade and keep making music that makes you sit up and listen. It's usually at best you're going, I like this band, and they put out more music that sounds like the music that I like, and yeah. it's an excuse for them to tour again, and I'll go see them. It's always the newer stuff or the people who've gone through some kind of radical reinvention and come out all right on the other side that are making the, that are making the stuff that, that, that you want to talk about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. True. All right. So, uh, Paul, where are you going to land on this one? I, you know, it's a tough call. I, I, I think I do land on stream it. I don't like the album all that much, but there's enough, uh, uh, there's enough there where if you like if you like the drive-by truckers, you're going to stream it or buy it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, and if you don't, this isn't going to convert you to the cause. So, stream it. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think I'm I'm going to stream it too. Uh, I think there's enough. Uh, I do. I mean, the Cooley sound is a classic country sound, and he has perfected that. And even though they both, I think, are doing a variation of their shtick at this point, 
um, Cooley's is attractive enough to um, and compelling enough to like draw me in every time. So he does that. Um, all right. So that is uh, about our podcast for the week. Uh, next week, uh, I'm not sure what album we review. We'll eventually get around to the Lydia Lovelace, which is going to be sort of like this. Um, and uh, next week, we'll have Justin Jones' uh, interview that we taped a few weeks ago on before uh, his new band, The Dead Men, uh, do the CD release party at the Rock and Hotel here in Washington, D.C. So, Paul, thanks for uh, braving the snow in your basement. <laughs> if there was snow in my basement, I'd have real problems. Yes, that would be. <laughs> uh, and we will talk to you next week. Cool.